There's a meme floating around my friend's social media spheres. It surrounds a historian who is attempting to entice people into studying history at the university into sales pitches, essentially. Hey, kids, do you like historical fiction? Do you like watching period pieces and movies and TV shows and reading novels that were set during that time period? The kids nod yes. Well, would you like to not like those things anymore? So anyways, Winchester. My name is Ryan. This is a real deep dive. Joining me on this episode is my sister Cheryl. Hello, Cheryl. Welcome back. Thank you. Hi. And this was your pick. Why, why did you want to talk about Winchester? Because it's a super fun modern movie that feels like it should have been made in like 2002. Yeah, it does have that vibe. And uh, while I was doing the background research on this episode, I, I found out that they had actually made a film based in the similar premise on 2009. But with this, they didn't cooperate with the Winchester estate. It was just some guy like snuck his phone into a tour of the house and surreptitiously took photos and then made up a movie based on it. And I'm sure it's bad. That's a shitty thing to do. Seriously. Yes, this one was done with the cooperation of the Winchester estate. Well, whoever controls the house. So before we get into the film, I probably should talk about the background of this. This film centers upon the Winchester Mystery House. It is not connected to Supernatural in any capacity. In some markets, this film was titled Winchester, the house that Ghost built, in case some unwary people thought that they were watching something involving the siblings from Supernatural. Just Sam and Dean roaming around. That'd be great. Alright, for those of you not in the know, the Winchester Mystery House is a Queen Anne-style Victorian mansion It was perpetually under construction between 1884 and 1922. It was modified from an unfinished farmhouse without an architect or any kind of overarching plan. Now, the supervisor of this was Sarah Winchester, the heir of the Winchester fortune. I looked up what her exact amount of inheritance was uh, in 2019 dollars. is was roughly $594 million, And she had a daily allowance that was essentially, in today money, $21,000 a day. So she had some money. And she was under the impression that her family was being haunted by spirits of people who were killed by Winchester rifles. And the house was built for the explicit purpose of deterring, trapping, and confusing them. So there's lots of different architectural peculiarities about it. Uh, there were doors and windows on the floor, staircases that go nowhere, winding corridors everywhere, uh, repetition of the number 13, which he considered lucky, stained glass windows, and spiderweb motifs on many of the other windows, which Winchester also felt were lucky. Also, pretty freaking stylish. Uh, yes, and uh, one thing that you pointed out, that there were risers, like a lot of winding staircases that only went up like a couple of inches at a time because Sarah Winchester had arthritis and had a hard time walking, so it's a little easier on her. So everybody else has a hard time walking up them staircases. It's her house. <laughs> I like her. She's my kind of lady. Yeah, it was primarily made of redwood, a substrate whose appearance Sarah disliked, but, you know, was readily available in California at the time. Uh, that means that faux grain was applied to all of the substrates. 20,500 gallons of paint in total were used on the house, and it was seven stories tall, although it was reduced to four stories after the 1906 quake. More on that when we get to the film. Well, hang on, though. You're a paint man. Like, put that into, like, perspective for me, because it's just a number. It doesn't mean anything. Like, how much is a normal, like, amount of paint for, like, a normal-sized room? Okay, a single room, like a bedroom? 
you might need a gallon and a half. Wow. A, okay. <laughs> a gallon of paint will cover somewhere between 350 to 400 square feet, depending upon how textured and porous the substrate is. It's okay, yeah. That puts it into perspective a little bit more for me. Yeah, redwood is a pretty dense wood, so it's probably closer to 400. Like I said, it was perpetually under construction. The film presents a theory as to why, although not much is known about it. Sarah Winchester was very private. A lot of the reasoning that went into why the house is built the way it was is something that died with her. After she passed, the building was inherited by her niece, Mary, and her only living relative who auctioned off all of the furnishings. So we don't know how the place was decorated either. A lot of people, including those of the Winchester company, assumed that the house was going to be something of a money pit, but it has been a tourist attraction since 1923, about five months after Sarah Winchester died, and has been regularly visited ever since. It is also the inspiration for the Haunted Mansion at Disney World. Oh, that's supposed to be like one of the most fun rides. But like also too, like, I mean, it makes sense because anytime anyone that I know has ever heard of the house, they've immediately been like, can I go there? Yeah, and, and uh, you wondered aloud as the movie was playing how much of it was actually shot at the house. While they did have the cooperation of the Winchester Mystery House, flash photography has been banned there since 1989 just because of how old and fragile the building is. And also, you can't fit camera and lighting and sound equipment and other rigging in there just because the, the house is too narrow. You don't have enough space for that. So while there are a couple of exterior shots, almost everything's on sound stages. More on that later. But uh, let's get into the plot of the film. Yay! All right, Sarah Winchester is the widow of the infamous gun manufacturer, William Wirt Winchester. Her husband's sudden death and the previous death of their daughter, Annie, have left her in a serious state of grief. She soon becomes convinced that she's being haunted by the ghosts of those who were slain by the Winchester lever-action repeating rifle. After consulting a medium, Sarah uses her $20 million inheritance to build a vast mansion in San Jose, California. The house is under constant construction, focusing on architectural curiosities intended to confuse or trap the ghosts. Sarah's niece, Marion, lives in in the house with her son Henry, and Henry, in the very first scene in the film, appears to be possessed by a mysterious entity each night. Yeah, Jason, from those horror movies, right? He's got the bag on his head. He does have a bag on his head. This film isn't terribly original. More on that later. Early Jason. Yeah, Friday the 13th 2, if memory serves. <laughs> In 1906, the Winchester Company sends Dr. Eric Price to assess Sarah's mental health, believing she is unfit to retain a guiding hand in the company. Price is grieving the death of his wife and has developed a drug habit. He initially believes that the ghosts that he sees are a side effect of his drugs, but he still manages to save a possessed Henry after he jumps off a roof. Eric interviews Sarah, prompting her to admit to her fear of ghosts and her desire to help them move on. These are the type of ghosts that have unfinished business. Like Casper. Yeah, I, I got this. I'm following it. Yeah, Sarah then reveals that she's aware of Eric's drug addiction, and she confiscates his stash of laudanum. That night, Price stumbles across a seemingly possessed Sarah drawing up plans for a new room, but he is frightened off by an entity before he learns more. The next day, Sarah shows Eric a detailed list of everyone killed by a Winchester firearm, and that forces Eric to admit that he had briefly died after getting shot by a Winchester rifle, and that he keeps the bullet with him refurbished at all times as a reminder. Sarah then explains that 13 magic nails keep the ghosts sealed in certain rooms. You see, most of the ghosts actually want Sarah's help in moving on with their unfinished business and whatnot, but there are some hostile ones roaming around. Yeah, and then they get put in the no-no rooms with the little bracers and the 13 nails to keep them from uh, getting out until they can chill the fuck out. 
A possessed Henry attempts to shoot Sarah, but is stopped by Dr. Price and Marion. Realizing the hostility of the spirit at last, Sarah dismisses her staff and prepares for an exorcism, although Eric still believes that Henry's affliction is more terrestrial and wants him taken to a hospital. However, Eric then encounters a butler who turns out to be a ghost. He and Sarah then identify the ghost as Benjamin Block, a Confederate soldier who lost two brothers in the Civil War due to Winchester rifles. Bennett had tried to avenge their deaths by shooting up the Winchester offices and was killed by the police in the process. He was also sitting down, so like it was like death by cop. Yeah, and he was singing a little song that Henry sings whenever he gets possessed. This is another one of those movies where there's singing ghost children in it. All right, at this point, the 1906 San Francisco earthquake hits, devastating the house and separating Eric and Sarah, although there's some ghost movement going on. A possessed Henry slips away in the chaos pursued by Marion. Meanwhile, Eric encounters several ghosts before bumping into his dead wife, Ruby. You see, it turns out that Ruby could see and hear ghosts but was misdiagnosed by her husband. This ultimately drove Ruby to shoot herself with a Winchester rifle. However, she accidentally shot Eric first. That's where he got his wound while he was trying to stop her. Wait, that's what happened? I thought she was just schizophrenic. No, she could see ghosts. Eric thought that she was schizophrenic, and that drove her over the brink. That's why he's feeling so guilty and doing the laudanum. See, he has a character arc. Maybe three times, and I never got her being like a medium. I I don't know why I missed it. It's because it's the B plot. That's why. The whole time she's going, I just wanted you to believe me. What else could she be talking about? I don't know. <laughs> her, her delightful brain. Uh, anyways, after they reenact the accidental murder suicide, Ruby's ghost attempts to comfort Eric, telling him that she forgives him and still loves him. And this motivates him to get up, get off his ass, and go help Sarah. She basically says, get over it so I can get over it. Pretty much. Eric finds Sarah, and they manage to trap Ben in his room. He had been possessing Henry at the time, but Sarah's like, hey, come get me, and he falls for it. Now, Marion and Henry are attacked by Ben's brothers, which throughout the film, Eric had been trying to tell Marion to get over her um, drunk, abusive ex-husband and, and face the world with courage. And this is when her character arc comes to its summit, and she's like, I'm not afraid of these ghosts. To be fair, like, the whole time I'm, like, staring at them, I'm like, which one's the one that's 14? The one that's super tall or the one with the giant beard? Yeah, earlier in the film, one of the ghosts is said to be 14 years old, and both of them look well north of that. <laughs> oh, dang, times were hard. They aged fast. I mean, the Civil War was pretty rough, but... Fair. Okay. Yeah, Sarah realizes that Ben is frightened of something in the room, and it's not the gun that he used for his killing spree. They eventually figure out that it's the refurbished bullet that Eric keeps on him. You see, Eric can see and hear the ghosts because he died by a Winchester rifle, which, even though he was later revived, that technically makes him a subject of the Winchester house curse. Dr. Prince loads the bullet into the gun Ben used in his shooting spree, and that combination is enough to banish Ben from the, the earthly plane. This is also the most ridiculous part of the movie. This, everybody campily overacting, lame CGI everywhere, floating guns and glass and lens flares and all that stuff. It looks like a final move in a video game, but like then it jumps to the cutscene so you don't actually get to be the one to take out the boss. Like that's the feeling. 
After Ben is banished from the earthly plane, the two brothers also leave, and Sarah is able to sort of prompt the other ghosts into returning to their rooms. Dr. Price declares Sarah to be sane, much to the chagrin of the Winchester Company. They had mailed a bribe to him earlier in the movie just to make sure things go their way. They wanted her ousted from the company. Sarah vows to continue building more rooms to trap and help her ghosts. The final scene of the film is a nail falling out of a board, sealing one of the ghosts into their room. Dun, dun, dun. Now, for every period piece, I seemingly have to start talking about the historical accuracy, hence the nature of the introduction. Okay, this one isn't even trying to be historically accurate. It's not quite on the same level as, say, Inglorious Bastards, but almost all of this is anachronistic. First off, Dr. Eric Price is entirely fictional. The Winchester Company never tried to oust Sarah from the company because of building that house. There is no evidence that Sarah Winchester ever consulted a medium. She came up with all this stuff on her own. Which surprised me when you told me that because it's like everywhere. Like anytime you read anything or hear anything about the house, everyone talks about like the medium that scammed her and sent her to this, like to the um, California. From what I could dig up, there's no hard evidence that Sarah Winchester ever consulted a medium. Possible that she did. As I mentioned earlier, she's very private. And there was also a late 19th century spiritualist fad. More on that later. Marion had gotten married and left the Winchester Mystery House well before its 1906 setting. Uh, nobody died during the earthquake in the Winchester House. Uh, one of the butlers gets killed in the movie. And mutton Oh yeah, and um, Chester Allen Arthur, who's like Sarah's little bodyguard guy. The Winchester Repeating Arms Office Massacre never happened. And one of the subplots in the film is the Winchester Company is trying to oust Sarah because she's trying to push them into a direction outside of armaments, uh, particularly inventing the roller skate. Sarah Winchester did not invent the roller skate. They were already popular going through a Cabbage Patch Kids Tickle Me Elmo style toy fad in 1906. And the Winchester Company did branch out into other household items. They started out as a shirt company, interestingly enough. However, this happened about 20 years after the film's setting, and it was unlikely that Sarah Winchester had a hand in determining that. The biggest bit of historical inaccuracy is that this film is heavily rooted in the Civil War, as mentioned by the plot recap. However, the first Winchester uh, lever action repeating rifle did not appear until 1866, which, if you're not a Civil War buff, is a year after the Civil War ended. There were some repeaters used in the war by Henry and Spencer. However, this was only in rare instances. Uh, most troops on both the Union and the Confederate side of the conflict used single-shot weapons most uh, commonly the rifle musket so yeah that's all of this film movie thrown in the muck yeah but i mean kind of don't you want to see a confederate soldier get shot a bunch yankee that i am yes <laughs> uh, the production of the film began in 2009 which is a while ago the rights were acquired by hammer films in 2012 uh, the twin brother directorial team of Michael and Peter uh, Spierig uh, were set to direct the film in 2016 and revise the script accordingly. They are best known for Jigsaw, one of the Saw movies. My husband will be happy about that, but not as much me, no. Yeah, uh, Helen Mirren, who signed on a couple of months they did, uh, likened their approach to hearing one mind through two mouths. As I said before, most of the film was not shot at the actual Winchester Mystery House for practicality purposes. Cameras are useful in shooting movies. Yes, and they would require cameras to make the film. So most of it was shot in sound stages in Australia. 
the film's reception. It was made for a budget of $3.5 million, which is general for a horror movie, but it's pretty shoestring. And it made $46 million in returns, so Woo! quite profitable. It got almost universally negative reviews, most uh, talking about how it was empty, vapid, uh, goes nowhere, silly, cornball, extremely unoriginal. I feel like you're attacking me right now. Tell me that it's wrong. I'm sorry, all of the horror movies that came out, like when I was renting my own movies, you just described all of them. So it was. Yup, I did. <laughs> it was like a nostalgia reminded me of sleepovers and stuff when I was younger. Uh, all the lame jump scares in this movie. You know what? That mirror one, though, that one was pretty good. The mirror one was pretty well paced, and the one where the butler reveals himself as a ghost with the face melted off, that one kind of works. Yeah, I mean, that was fun, because he's just like, you've already been here before, fool. There were positive takes on the visuals of the film, which, yeah, uh, lighting, costumes, makeup, furniture, all of that looked pretty cool. Yeah, it was beautiful. The way that the colors were saturated in various frames, it's very common in horror movies to use expressionistic lighting such as that in order to sort of wallpaper over the tiny, tiny micro-budget. Yeah, and uh, unlike um, other horror movies, it's not just blue the whole time, which is, I appreciate that. Yeah, during that aforementioned period in the early 2000s, everything had like a green or a blue haze on it. And no, this one threw some red in the mix, and there's some purple stuff, and yeah, yeah it went everywhere. Now, this did get a, a couple of award nominations. For example, this awards that I hadn't heard of until I started looking into this movie. Yeah. The Australian Academy of Cinema Television Arts Awards. So you said it was shot. Where was it shot? It was shot in Australia. Big surprise. Got nominations for uh, production design, costumes, and makeup. Once again, deserving of all those, but it didn't win. It also got a bunch of nominations at the Razzies. It got nods for uh, Worst Picture, Worst Director, Worst Screenplay, and Worst Actress for Helen Mirren. Wait! Oh, bullshit! She did a... She had a... She did a great job. She had fun while she was doing it. It didn't win. Worst Picture and Worst Director went to Holmes and Watson, the Will Ferrell Sherlock Holmes movie. I blocked that out of my memory. Yeah, it didn't look good. I never saw it. Wor- I never saw it either, but like I forgot that it was a thing. Yeah, Worst Screenplay went to Fifty Shades Freed, and Worst Actress went to Melissa McCarthy for The Happy Time Murders. Oh, I saw that one. Yeah, I didn't hate it. That's something I kind of want to talk about. Whenever I do a a film on this show where it gets a bunch of Razzie nods, I feel the need to comment on them, but the Razzies are kind of bullshit. Yeah, I mean, like, the Happy Time Murders, like, I don't know that I would pay money for it to watch it again, but I'd watch it again if it was free. Another thing is that the Razzies just keep going after low-hanging fruit. It's like, yeah, Adam Sandler is bad in those movies where he does a vocal affect. You're just sort of patting yourself on the back for making fun of this really obviously bad movie. I mean, at this point, you just have to kind of be impressed that he's still making movies. Like, good for you. Yeah, somebody must like them. Uh, yeah, moving on. Let's talk about the cast. Helen Mirren, who did not deserve her Razzie nod. I don't think any of these things deserved a Razzie nod. I don't think that uh, Winchester was a particularly great movie, but it's not, like, birdemic bad. It's not notably cornball or anything. It's just a horror movie that doesn't really do much for me. It's it's a fun movie. Like, it's, it's the kind of horror movie that you put on when you're, like, really craving a horror movie. Like, it's good for the popcorn. 
Mirren does what she can with it. There are scenes where she's utterly chewing the scenery, particularly when she's possessed and drawing the ghost rooms with the help of the ghost who's channeling through her. She's rocking out to it. She's like nodding her head. Like, yeah. Yeah, and when she's possessed by Ben the Confederate, gun-toting fuckboy. Obviously, they're dubbing in his voice on her, but she's going with it. This movie would be a much worse thing if she wasn't in it. Absolutely. She does such a wonderful job, and she's, like, having a ball. And you want every black dress she's wearing in this? Oh, absolutely. Like, that goes without saying. Like, if I could, that's what I'm going to look like when I'm, like, in my 70s. Yeah, next up is uh, Jason Clark, his Eric, and he's fine. Which one is Eric? He's the psychiatrist. Oh, yeah, he's in the movie, too. Yeah, he's in it, too. He's playing a pretty stock role. I think he and Helen Mirren had worked together in something earlier. I should have written it down, because I don't remember, but this is not the first time they worked together. That kind of just sounds like his performance in the movie. I should have made that so they don't remember. Yeah, he's there. He's wearing period clothing, filling the role. It's okay. And then Sarah Snook is Marion. Once again, not given much to do. Her voice quavers a lot, that. Yeah, her voice quavers a lot, especially when she's trying to convince herself that she's not afraid of the ghost, going through her little satisfying character arc, at least in theory it's supposed to be satisfying, where she has this problem and she overcomes it, just like the other characters here. Well, you know, not Winchester. Winchester pretty much has everything figured out from the beginning. She's the only static person in the main cast, I'd say. She's been living in the house for the longest time, so... I actually read an article written by a behavioral psychologist about the Winchester Mystery House. And there's like, of course people think it's haunted. If you've been in there, there's a weird house. That house does things that you aren't expecting it to do. It has over 100 rooms. It's just the fact that everything is so off will make you think, that, yeah, there's something going on here. Yeah, it's like super unnerving. I also heard that they found like an extra room like within the past like seven years that they didn't know about because like a wall had been built around it. Yeah, in 2017, they added some, like, virtual tours to it to let you, like, rove through elements of the house that have never been open to the public. Because there are parts of it that are just vulnerable to the world. Uh, it was built on what is called a moving foundation, so, like, every other house in the area was wrecked by the earthquake. It just lost a couple of stories. That's pretty cool. So, like, it was, like, uh, innovative in some areas. Not on purpose. Like I said... <laughs> Winchester didn't hire an architect. The, the Every room was built according to a whim that only she really had. Uh, that leads us to talking about the themes of the film. And for one thing, you can't really do a film about Winchester rifles in this day and age without it, at least touching upon gun control. And it does that in a very shallow manner. Like, there's that early dinner sequence where Winchester is talking about the accrued sin of all the people who have been died by the more efficient armaments that her husband introduced to the world. And Marion says something like, well, the gun is a neutral tool. It depends on whether it's a good person or a bad person. And then just Helen Mirren gives her this big old stink eye being like, did you just make a only a good guy with a gun can stop a bad guy with a gun argument at my dinner table? <laughs> like, even the Confederate soldiers, like, this is a tool of murder and death and anybody that profits on it is terrible. Yeah, so that's in there. And once again, in case listening to prior episodes of this show have not clued you into my perspective on matters like this, I'm in favor of common sense gun reform. I think there are background checks. I think there's certain levels of military-grade hardware that shouldn't be readily available to civilians. I do not think people with violent criminal backgrounds and suicidal tendencies should be able to buy a gun in a parking lot without a background check. I'm all on board with all of that, but yeah, even by someone who's sympathetic to some of the aims, this is really ham-fisted. 
But yeah, something that's far more prominent in this film, I think, is the late 19th century fad for the supernatural. During this period, you know, your 1890s to the first couple decades of the 20th century leading up to World War I, there was this big old ongoing fad amongst especially um, upper middle class people and the wealthy over spiritualism. A lot of things that we now associate with the New Age movement were born during this era. Yeah, all this other stuff. I was thinking about, say, um, phony mediums or, or had a friend like tapping the glass in the background while they were scamming people. And all of these various high profile celebrities of the day kept falling for it, most notably Arthur Conan Doyle. Oh, that's awesome. That makes me happy. Oh, he was a total sucker for it. He fell for a whole bunch of them. I think the most embarrassing one were these, um, this pair of, uh, little girls had, uh, posted pictures of them playing with fairies. They said they, they found real life fairies and they had cut like pictures of fairies out of a coloring book and, and taken pictures of them like romping around with a, with a, with the paper doll fairies in the, in the grass. And they managed to fool a bunch of people. I think that's wonderful, and I hope that the world is once again filled with that level of whimsy. I want to believe in that. That's wonderful. So yeah, so the guy who created Sherlock Holmes fell for that. Another thing I wanted to touch upon was the American fascination with haunted houses. And I think another reason why this film speaks to your heart is because you're a big old haunted house nerd. Um, in like in in theory, not in practice, I hate uh, going through a haunted house, but I love actual like houses that happen to be or like are reported. Like my honeymoon, we spent uh, going to different haunted inns. That was wonderful. But like on Halloween, if you go into a place full of actors, it's the worst thing that's ever happened to me in my entire life. Yeah, I'm talking about houses that are reputed to be haunted. You're way into those. Oh yeah, no, absolutely. Amazing. Totally wonderful. And I think that is a remarkably American thing, because it's been pointed out to me multiple times, if a bunch of grisly murders happened in, say, a hotel in Japan, <laughs> it would immediately gain a reputation for being haunted, and nobody would go there anymore, the place would go out of business. When this happens in America, people want to stay there. Yeah, like, suddenly it's booked out for, like, five years in advance. Or, like, you know, um, I've heard about, like, uh, if somebody dies in a house, then you sort of are, when you buy the house, you're responsible for whoever died, and you have to, like, take care of them as well. So, like, if a kid dies in your house, it's like, oh, shit, okay, I have to, like, bring them toys and shit before I can go on any, like, important business trips. In the United States, you can start selling tickets to the murder house. To, I mean, and so, like, to make me not sound like a heartless monster, like, it's usually, like, the places that I go to don't have, like, grisly murders, and it's usually a long time has passed. You don't have to justify yourself to me. <laughs> I don't believe in ghosts. I don't think you're disrespecting anything. Well, I try. I, I mean, I do try to be respectful. I don't go to, like, the, like, shock and awe places. I go to the, like, ooh, it's an interesting historical place. And also, like, you know, some dude with boots walks around on the, uh, on the roof at night. The favorite one is the place that we went to. One of the inns we went to, the ghost, she scratches the heels of men while they're sleeping in bed at night, and she whispers a certain name. I'm not going to say what it is, but it happened to be the name of my fiancé at the time, now my husband. So, of course, I was like, that room. Like, when I called to book it, I was like, absolutely, we need to be in that room. They pushed somebody out of the room for us because there's like, it's my honeymoon. They're like, yeah, we can do that. Yeah, so the thing about American ghosts, they don't drive you to suicide or anything. They just kind of do things that are mildly annoying. Yeah, she liked to play the harpsichord and, like, scratch the feet of men at night. 
Yeah, that's that's a weak sauce ghosting. Yeah, we didn't have like an experience or anything, but we did wake up in the morning and they brought us cookies, which was super sweet. Mm, sweet cookies. Yeah. Okay, well, that's just about everything in my notes. There isn't really much to this movie, so... Is there anything about Winchester, the house that Ghost built, that we haven't commented upon that you would like to mention? Um, well, again, uh, I'm just going to reiterate that it's just a very fun, early 2000s movie kind of feel without, like, having to deal with the problematic stuff from the early 2000 movies. Like, there's no weird sexism or othering. There's not a lot of, like, oh, that's so gay, like, just around the corner, like, constantly. And, like, the, like, no homo stuff. Yeah, a good number of people killed by Winchester rifles in this house include runaway slaves, which is another historical anachronism. As I said, the repeater wasn't introduced until after the Civil War was over, but hey, it's a compelling visual. Yeah, yep, no, absolutely. But yeah, no, outside of that, it's just, it's a fun movie. It's a really fun ghost movie. The twist isn't really much of a twist, and it's super obvious, but uh, it's satisfying. Yeah, I always spoil everything on these episodes, but yeah, I don't think I was really spoiling much. I am less impressed with the film. <laughs> okay, if that's it, that's another episode in the can. Good night, everybody. Good night.